Hi everyone and welcome to the Ref6 weekly uh, podcast and blog. Um, this show is all about uh, refereeing news and topics in refereeing and we'll uh, talk amongst ourselves, me and John, as well as get some guests on uh, to chat about some topics. So um, welcome everyone and thanks for, for listening in. I'm going to just quickly run through um, two pieces of news from the refereeing world that, are, that I've seen and actually both uh, relate to female referees. So the French uh, UEFA or FIFA referee Stephanie Frapper, who did the UEFA Super Cup last year and the Women's World Cup final last year, has been appointed to a men's Europa League game between Leicester um, City and Ukrainian team, which I'm going to definitely mispronounce, Zoria Luhansk. Um, on Thursday. So that's a great appointment. Um, amazing to see uh, female referees getting into the elite side on the men's side. So that's great to see. Um, another one was uh, Caroline Chenard, who's a Canadian, a decorated Canadian FIFA uh, women's referee, uh, decided to retire this week. Um, she had done Olympics Games finals, World Cup um, matches all throughout a massive kind of history in the female game and she'll be sorely missed. So some news from, from around the world. Um, yeah, so let me introduce you to uh, my, my, my colleagues for, the, for this week's show. So I've got John. Yeah, how are you? See me in the other couple. I'm uh, from Sussex, level four, still unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got Mike. Hi, I'm Michael, I'm a 2B referee from Sussex. Brilliant, and Red. Hi guys, uh, Red Egan, uh, Level 5 referee from Sussex. Uh, looking forward to the podcast, uh, first time. So thank you, John, for getting me in. Brilliant. So uh, very Sussex-based group today. Very local, but definitely social distancing and all on Zoom. So um, we'll, we'll do that. Uh, how was your games this weekend? Where, whereabouts were you? Anyone can go first. <laughs> go on then. I'll go. Uh, so uh, Saturday. Oh, 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 go on. There we go. The internet's killed us. Yeah, the lag. Um, uh, yes. I, was, I had a trophy game today. Not today, Saturday. Uh, Hayward Teeth versus Willingarden in the, I want to say it's the second round of the qualifying for the trophy. Okay. 4-1, um, pretty easy. I think it was three yellows. I was on the line. Senior. Brilliant. It was a pretty easy day for me. Cool. Red, you, you, you were chomping at the bit. Go for it. Well, yeah, um, so at SCFL Div 2 game, uh, Little Hampton United versus Rustington. Uh, went well, to be fair, both a bit of a fiery game, but uh, Manchester City through. It was a bit of a shock. Uh, Little Hampton, who were near the bottom of the table, beat Rustington, who were top, 2-1. Uh, so um, that was an unexpected outcome. But yeah, enjoyed the game and it was um, Manchester City through, which is the main thing. Mm -hmm. So it was all right. Mike, where were you at? National League South last Saturday, Eastbourne Borough against Chelmsford. Uh, enjoyable game down on the 3G pitch at Eastbourne. Um, obviously, our games have still got quite an interesting feel to them at the moment, being behind closed doors. Um, but both sets of players, technical areas, club officials, we're just knuckling down and, and, and getting on with it. Um, and certainly that's not impacting on the, the quality of football at our level. So uh, whilst we all hope spectators will return to, to stadium soon, um, at least we've still got some light relief with uh, football we have got to enjoy. And it's really interesting because I guess all of your games you've had a normal amount of fans, I guess, not a huge amount, but a few. We have more, to be more? fair. Okay. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, at the county league level, there's definitely a higher, 
number of people. Like I had 250 at Peace Haven. Interesting, yeah. Which is probably more than I've ever had there about. Okay. And Mike, I guess for you, it's the complete opposite. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but I do concur with, with John's thoughts in that having looked at some of the non-league attendances and I still try and keep it, an eye on what's going on in the local scene, there's definitely been an increase. Um, for clubs at Isthmian level that are ticketed only, more often than not, I'm seeing kind of sellouts. You know, a couple of times I've tried to get tickets for Lewis on a Tuesday night after work and, and it's been a complete sellout. So um, certainly supporters that would tend to be going to you know, step two and above are going to uh, step three, four and, and, and so on. So it's, it's good to see. But yeah, I, I mean, our games, league matches are obviously all behind closed doors bar club officials and, and some volunteers. Uh, I did have an FA Cup game two weeks ago where the home club were classed as non-elite gospel borough, so they could have spectators, but the away club, Hereford, are classed as elite, so none of their spectators could attend. It just adds, yeah, just a completely different dynamic, to be honest. So just, just on the, the game with no fans there, is it is it easier to referee or is it exactly the same or is it even more difficult? What? Uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's easier or harder to referee, but certainly in terms of acoustics, you hear a lot more. Um, mm. you, you're able to communicate with players, I would say, a lot easier. You pick up on a lot more, which is being said by the technical areas. And it's interesting, before I went off to the game on Saturday, I was watching uh, Jose Mourinho being inter interviewed on Sky Sports. And he seems to think that you know one of the upsides to spectators not being in stadiums is that he feels he can coach better. So he can get a message to a player on the far side of the pitch far easier than, uh, than what he could do beforehand when there was kind of tens of thousands of spectators there. So yeah, they're, they're just different dynamics. Um, but what I've, what I've found in experience is once the game kicks off, players switch into game mode. And it's, you know, as, as you would normally see it with a, with a full set of supports there. Brilliant. Cool. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed fans get back to the stadium as soon as possible. Obviously, um, pandemic uh, pending, I guess, or whatever, but fingers crossed. Um, so we've got three, we've got quite a packed show in terms of topics. Um, there are three things that I want to touch upon, so I'll, I'll just quickly highlight them now. So there was a story in a local newspaper about a non-league game between Worcester City and Coventry United. Um, and it, in, it basically uh, included the manager staying, saying that the referee had sworn at one of his players and he took, obviously, offence to that. So I want to chat about swearing at players. Is it a complete no-no? Should it ever happen? So we'll talk about that. Um, one massive kind of viral moment from the Premier League game this weekend. There was a few, but the one that we wanted to touch on was around the interaction between Sergio Aguero and the assistant referee, Sean Masielis. Um, there was a kind of a coming together or, or a uh, gesture from Aguero uh, to Sean Masielis, and we'll talk about that and how we would maybe, um, what we would do in those situations in our games. And then in the WSL, there was a game between Everton and Brighton where it appeared that a player was given two yellow cards and not shown the red card. Um, so we're not going to go into detail on that incident, but we're going to talk about how we can maybe prevent that happening in our game. So those are the three topics we're going to touch on. Um, should we just start from the first one, swearing yeah. at players? It's a, a very interesting kind of 
accusation. We don't know if it was true or not. Um, and, and to be honest, we, we don't care if that was true or not. I, I'm just really intrigued to know. Um, have you ever sworn at a player? Maybe we could go around there uh, and, and then we'll go into detail. Have you ever sworn at a player? Um, it's tough. It's meant to be class swear word, really. Like, I use shut up occasionally, which mm-hmm. can get me into trouble. But swearing has become such a part of everyday life and sport. And like, you hear it on the TV, you hear it in, I don't know, like TV shows now. Like, I use it with my friends quite a lot. Mm-hmm. It's like part of my everyday language. Yeah. So, trying not to bring that onto the football pitch is quite difficult, mm-hmm. especially when some of the players are giving it to you. Like, my instant reaction is to give it back. Yeah. Um, but then this shows that doing that does not help you at all, does it? Because it, it's such a double-edged sword. Yeah. Like you, they can do it to you, but you can't do it to them. And it, it probably doesn't help you that much. But Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about my experience. But Red or Mike, do you want to go? Have you ever sworn at a player? So in recent memory, I'd say no. And I think the interesting part of two of the topics we're going to touch on today pass is the image of the game um, mm-hmm. and, and kind of the credibility of the game as a result of, of, of those particular actions taking place and you know from, from my personal perspective I don't see any value that can be gained through swearing at a player you know that we're always in the mindset of trying to calm people down trying to build rapport and I just don't see any value that can be can be gained in telling a player to f off or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, I can only see that inflaming the situation. So, in recent memory, no, it's not something that I adopt as part of my management style. Um, but that's just that's just my personal opinion. You know, I throw it open to the the guests. Yeah, today. Yeah. Go on, Red. Yeah, no, definitely. I think you can agree with both points in a sense with John almost saying it's kind of it's a double-edged sword of players that they're going to come at you with a swear word. Sometimes you might think, well, how come he can say that? How come I can't? And then I'm going to get in trouble in a sense. But then you look at Mike's points as well. Again, as a referee perception, you want to be out there managing the players with almost use of words, use of communication. And by throwing a swear word at someone, someone might, a player might not be used to a referee throwing a swear word and they might react in the complete opposite way. And that's probably what's happened in this incident. That's, that's what happened. The manager's almost been like, well, hang on a second. Why is the referee throwing a swear words out when he can use his voice, he can use other tools to manage the game and kind of see it through? So in recent memory, I probably, I, I can't remember the time when I have swear at players. I've, I've used other words, like as John said, it's like, shut up, come on, love what you're doing, like any chance kind of thing. And feelings like that, almost like, why the hell is that coming out? But no, again, I can't think of a, a time when I've said a swear word back to a player. I probably You probably have to piss me off quite a bit if someone was going to throw that at me but then again in the perception of a referee you got to keep a cool edge you got to manage them throughout the match and then hopefully that'll work in your favour and you can see the game home in a sense I'm, I'm going to play a bit of devil's advocate here I think it comes down to the tone of, of what you're saying as well so like if you're having a joke around with the player and, and it's a bit of fun and then and like you're having a bit of banter as everyone says but and you, and you say oh F off like something very offhand very gentle like in a joking way where it's just yeah. you and that player, I think you can get away with that. But as soon as you, as soon as that tone changes from actually it goes from a jokey banter where you're building rapport with the player to a, uh, like an order or being authoritative, I think that that's when it definitely crosses the line. Um, it's interesting that you both said shut up because actually that's probably 
the one thing I've said that has led to one of my biggest, um, probably the worst experiences in refereeing that I've had is a ball went out of play and the team that were going to get it took a long time and the, the, te- the, the opposition were being fairly aggressive and, and basically wanting me to give the player a yellow card on Sunday league football, which is like ridiculous for uh, delaying the restart of play like 30 minutes gone. But the, this player was basically screaming at me saying, you know, hurry them up and, and probably use a few swear words himself. And I turned around really sternly and said, shut up. Like to the point where I was almost treating that player as if he was like a five-year-old kid that just took me over the, the edge. And that, that turned him into telling me and I'm an effing C which then led to me obviously having to give him a red card. So I felt like I'd um, baited him into it. He shouldn't have done it. It doesn't, doesn't excuse him giving me any, any gestures. I told him to shut up. But I think tone is massively important. The way you communicate isn't just about the words you use, but the tone you use. And there I judged the words and tone wrong. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to, to hear your points. I think you make a good point though with, like building rapport with players mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, I don't know what it's like for Mike at the high level, but Red probably down the same. Like we ref the same teams almost every week. Ref probably does the same on the Sunday league. Um, I know they seems to do the same teams every week from what he tells me. Mm. Um, but you build that rapport with the player so you know what you can get away with and what you can't. And sometimes you, you slip the tongue and you'd be like, oh, shut up. And he'll be like, yeah, yeah, fine. But they understand that and you've got that relationship with them and it benefits you. Like I've had players come up to me and be like, you know what I'm like, like talk to me, deal with me. And sometimes dealing with them at that level, which is potentially a swear word or potentially like get out of my face, mm-hmm. I'm being a little bit more aggressive, helps your match control because that's their level. Yep. So. Yeah, I, go on Mike. And I think in terms of those confrontational situations, there's an expectation by neutrals that we rise above it and we mm-hmm. almost set ourselves as a, as a higher standard. And certainly, you know, if you was to take yourself out of that confrontational situation, of the 21 other players that are on the field of play who are calm, you know, they'll have, a, they'll have their own view of, of how their player is behaving or how an opposition player is behaving. So I think it would be more of a shock to them to see the referee almost be baited himself into mm-hmm. fighting fire mm-hmm. with fire rather than saying, look, I'm the professional one here, you're not. And this is how, you know, I'm going to be the calm and influence in that situation. You know, it's almost like if you was at school and you was ever to hear your teacher swear, it would come as a huge shock because I think, you know, referees as opposed to players or managers or any other kind of participant, they are held to a a higher professional standard. Um, And of all of the thousand things we've got to worry about during the, the 90 minutes, I think probably the way in which swearing might be perceived is probably quite low on our priority list. So that's why I tend to just avoid it, really. I think they're all great points, really. It's it's basically using your, your understanding how you want to communicate with players, but also, you know, to, to build a rapport or to control the players or to man-manage. But also, to Mike's point, is there is also the perception of not just that one-to-one communication, but the whole pitch, the whole the whole team of players, as well as any spectators that you might have. So it's not just about that isolated incident anymore, especially when you get up to your level, Mike. 
And I think the culture's gone out of the Premier League as well. You know, when, when I first started refereeing, you know, you had your Phil Dowds of this world that were renowned for, you know, fighting fire with fire and were almost kind of over-aggressive in the way in which they manage players. Whereas if you look at top-flight officials now, you know, your Olivers, your Taylors, etc., you just don't see any of that Dowd persona being shown. Um even Kalina persona, right? That which was yeah, yeah, similar, yeah. yeah. Completely come out of the game now. Yeah, interesting. Cool. All right. So I feel like we've got a few different opinions there around swearing, basically a no-no. But on the odd occasion, maybe depending on your relationship with the player, depending on the tone and things like that. So but it's really interesting. I found that obviously the 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 local newspaper picked it up and the manager has um, made a comment. But I guess there is no place or ability for the referee who was accused of that to make, like, that doesn't sell the newspaper, right? Where, where a referee turns around and says, hey, actually, I didn't do that, but I haven't seen that story around. So have you guys ever had anything like that where there was something been said about you in a newspaper or in, on social media and that you didn't, you know, it was unfair because it was from that perspective, but you didn't have an opportunity to kind of voice your own? Is that ever been something yeah, that you yeah. wanted to do? Yeah, there was a guy going around like reporting on loads of non-league games and he mm -hmm. came to my game and he caught me twice. Yeah. And he interviewed the managers and both managers said I had a shocker, basically. Yeah. And um, they were saying I was making up the rules as I was going along, like telling them one thing and telling them another. I was like, well, that didn't happen. Yeah. But obviously my side of the story doesn't sell. Yeah. Um, and similarly with this thing, you never hear of that coach oh, he swore at the referee three times, calling it this, that, and the other, oh, he was bullied at school. But you won't hear that side of the story because yeah. that's natural. Yeah. But as soon as it's flipped around... I do find this particular story interesting, right? Because no doubt that there was at least one player from both teams have sworn at the referee during that game. Almost certainly, right? Like, it, it does happen. So it's really interesting that that got picked up and actually became a story. Do you, Have you guys had any kind of interactions with, like, media in that... In, from a negative aspect? Uh, I mean, to be honest, the fact that the like, is it a local newspaper? It was a local, yeah. yeah. I mean, the fact that they picked up that story and run with it probably says more about the quality of that yeah. game. <laughs> what, That's what true. Yeah. And probably anything else. I mean, in terms of negative experiences with the media, you know, touch wood, it's not been too bad. But, but one occasion that does stick in my mind was four seasons ago now when I had uh, a bad injury occur in a game at, at, at Burgess Hill against Dawkins Wanderers, where, you know, sadly, a, a Dawkins Wanderers player was, was severely injured through what was a, a completely innocuous uh, head clash. And, you know, the, the video evidence that was produced afterwards showed that. But the way in which uh, the, the Dawkins manager reacted to that and the way in which he went to the press was... You know, insinuating that his player had been assaulted, for want of a better word. Um, so that's where, you know, I tend to steer clear of, of social media or, or anything that's said in the press because, you know, very rarely is it based on fact. <laughs> it's more, it, you're only getting one side of the story, right? That's the, that's yeah, the yeah. issue. And, and like I said, no one's, no one's coming to you guys with a microphone after the game or a, or, or a, uh, pen and no paper. One, you know, so. No one cares either. 
No. Ultimately, no. once they've got their story and, and you know the rants taking place, no one really cares what, what the, the referee's view is. I don't think you do yourself any favours though, as well. Yeah. Trying to chase it. I know I'm all, I'm my own worst person after the games. Like it's bad, but again, I'll look on like the social media pages of like things that have gone in front of the game. And again, I think all refs have done that. Well, they'll go, "Oh, did I have a good thing there?" And I think it's almost trying to please yourself in a sense. But if you're then going to fire back on your Twitter, going to the, some random person with just a fake name and everything, then you're not going to do yourself any favours. You're going to gain yourself you're almost going to start a war which you're not going to win because they're constantly going to keep prodding you just for you to say something stupid and then next thing you know, that's going to get spread wider. So I think we all do look for that almost, that news from that game. Reassurance. Yeah, the reassurance. But you're going to do yourself yourself no favours for trying to fight fire with it, whether you go, no, actually that didn't happen. And the reality is, you know, it's not just clubs who can be out biggest critics it can be our own colleagues as well <laughs> and we all know certain <laughs> social media platforms and certain you know groups that disguise themselves as, as support groups who were uh, probably more vociferous with the way in which they criticize the referee and the FA and certain aspects of, of that walk of life than, uh, than some of the clubs are so you know I just think social media in general can be a bit of a cesspit for, for, for people to voice opinion so where we can steer clear of that it's probably for better really so the advice is don't go looking for it because in truth no club and and really no spectator is ever going to say the referee made a great decision there they're never going to say what a great advantage it's like very rare right so don't go looking for it and then if you do find it don't engage basically is the the, the, the moral of the story cool all right, so we'll move on to um, the Premier League match between, I think it was Man City and Arsenal, yep. if I remember rightly. And there was an incident, I think it was, I need to do some extra research before these for next week, but I think it was the first half, might be wrong, might be completely wrong there, um, where uh, there was a um, challenge uh, by the assistant referee in the far corner where you know, it could have gone one way or the other, but it looks like it was a throw-in to Arsenal, and that's what Sean Massialis gave. Mm-hmm. Um, Sergio Aguero, great striker, um, took offence to it slightly, had a bit of a conversation as Sean Massialis was walking away, uh, made a kind of a, a gesture or a grab onto her shoulder to slightly pull her back, right? That was what roughly what happened. And this kind of created an absolute storm on social media from a variety of different perspectives actually so there was one side of the story was it was highly disrespectful potentially even you know going to the extremes of sexual assault and should have been dealt with with a red card the other side of the argument was actually it was just a normal gesture it was just a normal piece of contact etc so conscious of the fact that we're all guys on this show we can't really have an opinion from a you know that female perspective and and I've been seeing on social media, those, those views are from both male and female at both sides of the spectrum. So to me, the, the kind of the outcome from this is it's based on your tolerance levels and your judgment. We'll, all we'll say on this from, a, from this particular incident is Sean Massielis is highly experienced. She's a FIFA assistant referee and she dealt with it in the way that she deemed that that situation should have been dealt with, which was just a brush away and carry on with my job. But what I want to chat about is let's, let's, let's take this incident and put it in our games, whether it's a female or a male assistant. 
and let's talk about you being the referee and you being the assistant referee. What do you think? Is this normal contact? Is this contact that needs, you know, what, what level of uh, engagement as an, as an official do you kind of respond to this type of contact? So, Red, do you want to start? Yeah, go on then. Uh, so I did see it, and to be honest, I was a bit... It's not the first time you've seen almost like a player have a conversation with the line or have a conversation with the referee and they've got a bit close and they've almost made contact with the shoulder. And you see the old famous Mike Dean one, give the look of going, what the hell are you doing? Like, get your mm -hmm. arm off kind of thing. Uh, with this one, I was a bit bemused about the reaction, to be honest. I mean, I'm, I'm, as, as an assistant referee, I'm happy for um, a player to come and have a conversation. When the arm gets on the shoulder, I don't see the need for it. Uh, but again, I don't think there should be any action taken towards it. I think if my assistant referee was really disgruntled, obviously they've got comms, they've got buzzers, they can alert it. But if we need to have a conversation about it, then I would discuss what's happened. I might not have seen it because it might have been a further up play. But in my view, I think if the assistant referee was actually disgruntled, maybe have a conversation just with the player, just say, look, I'm happy for you to conversate and happy to come to talk about what's happened and why it wasn't given. But the second you start putting hands on referees, I don't think that's acceptable. I think there's, there's a line for conversation. But I think it's just, I don't think, I don't think the player, I don't think anyone on the pitch is expecting potentially a caution. I think on the TV cameras, it doesn't look great. But I think just a, maybe a one-to-one -one conversation saying, look, you wouldn't do it to myself. You're not going to do it to the assistant referee. And I think just if you can manage it from now, I think it would look, I think it would look good just as, as for, if someone was to ask the question as to why didn't you do anything, you can show to everyone, just spectators, that I've had a conversation with him. And that's not acceptable. So that's mm -hmm. just my view on it. And I think that's what probably I, the outcome I'd do if my assistant referee was disgruntled on the day, potentially, with, with what just happens. Brilliant. Cool. I think that was a good rundown. Go on, Mike. You, you got any, any difference yeah, I think, there? Yeah, I think, I think we've made some really good points there. And it's interesting, the, the, the point you made, Desan, around us all being male and, and us having, you know, obviously a male point of view. I mean, I don't know Sean Massey personally. Um, I've met, I've seen her once at a conference, but never had a personal conversation with her. And I don't think she would want this to become a row of male and female or about gender, if that makes sense. I mean, she's worked tirelessly to try and break down those barriers and be seen as an equal. So I don't think she would want this to become a, a gender argument. You know, for me, as I said earlier, it's about how do we want the image of our game to be portrayed and what damage does something like that do to the credibility? And I think you can condemn something without blowing it out of proportion. Um, you know, and, and I think as a rule of thumb, as a best practice, you just don't have physical contact between officials and, and players, even more so in the time that we're living through of COVID where, you know, space and, and no contact is being encouraged. You know, you, that, that, that would be heightened even more so. Um, but yeah, I think it's a respect thing um, in the same way you wouldn't necessarily go up to a policeman or a teacher or a person in a positional authority and just start rubbing them around the back of the neck or whatever it might be, you know, and it comes back to that, that argue, you know, that, that point we made earlier around what value is it adding, you know, by Aguero, you know, it just doesn't add anything to the game. It just brings it a little bit into disrepute. I don't think it's needed. But that being said, I don't think it needs to be blown out of proportion. I thought Sean dealt with it extremely well. In fact, you know, she made one of the uh, all-time great Premier League players look a bit, look a bit silly, really. Um, and I think, you know, between that, maybe a, a you know a private apology between Aguero and herself. I think that's kind of 
case dealt with and, and we move on. You know, I don't think someone like Aguero is a repeat offender for, for things like this. I mean, if he was doing it every week, you might go, hang on a minute, what's happening here? But yeah, I think we need to see it in the, in the you know, the sphere that it needs to be viewed in. Um, put it down to full practice and move on. Perfect. John, do you have anything on that? I've had it happen to me, like, play around, play around you and I would do the exact same thing as she did, but I'd give him a dirty look at the end. I'd be like, you know, you give him the back, you're like, mm, don't touch me. Yeah. And that's basically what she did. Shrugged off and be like, no thanks, mate. Do you think, so I'm coming back to adding some random questions in, but do you think um, the temperature of the game makes a difference? So it seemed to be, again, I, I'll do better research next time, but it seemed to be fairly early. It was a pretty straightforward game but if there was two or three red cars in the game it's really quite the temperature you know does that make a difference do you do you go with a card or do you make that public not uh, abolishment a lot more um kind of vociferous for everyone to see or is or or not <laughs> so, uh, no i think it's player i think it's player how hyped up the player is. Yep. So the tempo of the game could be rallied up, but you as an assistant, I could be pretty calm on the pitch and I could just wrap my arm around you anyway. The tempo of the game is still high, but I'm still fairly calm. Mm -hmm. Whereas the game could be calm and I'm rallied up and then I'm starting to, I think it's how the player is rather than the tempo of the game. Yeah, okay. And then the last question I have is, so I saw some comments that said, from referees that said, look, anyone who touches me as a referee is an official, is a red card, right? That some people have said that, which, you know, they're obviously uh, entitled to their opinion. Some people found that that gesture from Alvera was aggressive, right? And it, it could be deemed to see, you, you could deem his gesture to be aggressive or, or not. My question to you as referees, I'm the assistant referee and I've gone down the line of, you haven't seen this incident. I flagged you over and said, I've just been aggressively kind of, touched or like pushed or pulled by a striker um and then i guess what is your decision there especially if i'm i don't know what your pre-match looks like but if i'm saying look i think uh, you know i'm using the words aggressive you know violent maybe you know you're starting to think red right but like what what what, what would you do in those situations i think if your assistant has drawn to your attention that they've been violently pushed by a player i think you'd have to send the person off i think that's the only course of action you could take um i don't think you could downgrade to a yellow in that situation if that's the the kind of language that they've used to describe the incident and i don't think you could take no action at all um ultimately it comes down to your dis you know your discretion in terms of how you want to categorize something in it and it's interesting what we were talking about in terms of disciplinary action, because if you're cautioning, what are you cautioning for? Um, is it C1, you know, doctrine aggression? Is it C2, by word or action? So, and, and I think particularly if you had an observer there and you had to justify that, you'd need to be really clear on the basis of, of what are we taking the disciplinary action on? Um, but that being said, I mean, you know, if you deem that to be a violent act, then you know you, you have to you have to forward, follow with the red card. 
Cool. So overall, again, just to surmise, it sounds like what Sean did was exactly what she wanted to do at that time. She is way better placed to make a judgment than yeah. we are. Um, but from our perspective, it's probably the right kind of outcome from that that incident. You potentially look at maybe making maybe a more public, you know, uh, warning to the player to say that's unacceptable, um, but doesn't need to go further than that. No, potentially no card. So that's roughly what what the consensus is. Is that fair summarization of what we've just chatted about? Yeah, I'd say yeah. so. Cool. So. Um, Welcome back, everyone, to the Ref6 Weekly uh, podcast and blog. Uh, we've just been talking about uh, the incident between Sean Masielis and uh, Sergio Aguero. So we're now going to move on to um, uh, giving two yellow cards in a game and not following up with a red card to the same player, right? So that's an incident that happened in a game in the WSL this weekend. Again, we don't care about that game. That That is an incident that happened with those officials. We don't know the story, right? So all I care about is, as a group, what I want to know is how do we prevent that incident happening in our games? Um, what, what kind of tools do you have? What teamwork and what communication do you have with your officials? So, Red, do you want to start again with maybe talking about how what your process is for giving yellow cards? And, and how you ensure or try and ensure that that doesn't happen in your games, whether you have assistance or not. Yeah, well, um, I think just if, you, if you're going to do yellow cards, um, I think it's just following the correct process of, I know it's the same old people like to throw quick yellow cards around, which I'll come on to in a second, but pretty much taking the name down, checking the number, it all matches on your team sheet, which you wrote down, and then issuing the yellow card, making sure the player's close to you as well. It's just following good practice again, if you've got, observers there to the general public or if you've got someone there watching they know who the yellow card is and also if your assistants obviously if you've just got your assistant on the far side who's done a full match record for you not having a fourth man they can note down who it is and even a visual note of the assistant on this um on the far side who would maybe not, i don't know what your pre-match would be but mine would just be eyes and ears and just goals um with obviously this could probably most likely happen if you're going to throw a quick yellow out the probably the only time i'm going to really look if a quick yellow is going to come out if it's going to de-escalate the situation i.e a promising attack a pull pull of the shirt and obviously it might be a bit of an uproar because they might have been on the attack that's the only time i might throw a yellow card and still with that time i'm going to take my time with the free kick set up make sure i get that name down it's all in my book um with this trying to do, with this obviously, so that's just my procedure with two assistants. Uh, with the fourth man and how trying to prevent it, just again, just following the best practice really, just making sure you've all got your notes all set and you're ready and just taking your time with it. Because then again, the game's not going to start to you already, so make sure that you're set and just that you've got it all in your notebook ready so that you can have a visual note throughout the rest of the match if the next tackle comes in, it's that person. Mm -hmm. Cool. Mike, any, any different in your process? Um, no, not particularly. I mean, uh, I mean, we spoke about about this yesterday, Hassan. We were going through topics, and and I would always tend to avoid flashcards for for cautions. Um, I think getting into that that kind of traditional routine of, of correct cautioning procedure will serve you well, not just with the game and the clerical procedure, but but with observers. Um, as a case to be made on some few occasions for, for flash red cards to try and defuse a situation. You see it particularly at mass confrontations. Um, but a combination of probably concentration and flash cards tends to be where a lot of these incidents stem from. 
Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the, the incident specifically, which was the one from the, the, the WSL at the weekend, you know, there was four officials on those games, which can, creates an even different dynamic to what we would normally see on a match day where there's only three officials. Um, so that's, that's where I am at the moment, and, and we can touch upon that in a second in terms of, you know, what the procedure would have been in-game. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, what I'm super interested in is, let's just assume you as the, well, Mike, you're, you're a specialist referee now, right? So you, you're no longer running the line. Um, what I'm, I'm intrigued by that dynamic, right? Because as an assistant referee, I've seen the referee, I believe, has made a mistake, right? And then I've got myself, the other assistant, and possibly the fourth official. And, we, you know, we've got to figure out a way to communicate to the referee. Let's, let's assume there's no comms kit. Let's, let's get away from comms kit because most of us don't have a comms kit on a game. Mm -hmm. There's some doubt that appears as the assistant to say, have I messed up? You know, have I actually made this note correctly? Has, you know, because nine times out of 10, well, 90, no, 999 times out of 1,000, the referee has made the correct call. They've given the second yellow and it's done. But on that, you know, 0.1 or 0.01% of times, there's some doubt that can creep into you as a teammate of the referee to then actually cause big attention by flagging and saying, hey, referee, come here. I think you've made this mistake. So have you ever been in that situation or can you feel about those situations and think about, how you as a referee or how you as an assistant referee would navigate this? Go for it, John. Um, as an assistant, this is a game-changing decision. And even if there's a doubt in my mind that I've messed up somewhere, um, like if I'm writing on pen and paper, um, I'm calling the referee over because, like I said, it's game-changing. If I am made to look stupid and I'm in front of the benches, like, sorry, lads, I wrote something wrong. Yeah. Um, but if I'm right, then the referee's been bailed out. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So either I'm going to look stupid or the referee's going to look right. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of refereeing, I'm lucky enough that I use Ref6, so... Nice. Um, nice plug. Yeah, nice plug. <laughs> uh, it tells me that yeah. that mistake shouldn't happen unless yeah. I've really, really messed up a lot. Yeah. Um, so that's where that helps. But in terms of what these two have both said, it's process, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Your process is the most important thing. You, you stay, you hold, you look at the number, you take your time. It's on your time. Mm -hmm. And these two have both said it as well. So... Red as I want to say red to five, five red yeah, five, yeah. yeah. And marker two B, yeah. The their thought process is the same. It's mm -hmm. all about that process to get it right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, like Mike, you were an assistant referee uh, as well. So like, I guess has it ever happened to you? And is your process exactly the same as John's there, or do you doubt yourself as an assistant if that happens? So. Thankfully, you know, touch wood, I've never had this specific example happen to me in a game or, or felt that the referee was running the risk that this might happen. But refereeing a game of football or delivering a game of football has to be a collective responsibility. And even though ultimately in that situation from the game at the weekend, the referee is, you know, the last port of call, they're the ultimate responsibility taker, the buck has to fall to either all three officials or all, or all four officials. And I specifically remember a game in my second to last season of running the line. Uh, I, I, I remember the, where we were. I can't remember the away team. It was at Sutton United and, and the assistant coach was there, Ralph Bone. And the referee called the physio on, got the player treated, 
and then for some reason the, the player didn't go off the play restarted and nothing happened and it was innocuous and and you know that, that was it but afterwards Ralph absolutely hammered me and the other assistant because he said if the referee's made a mistake which is clear cut black and white you know because there's a clear outcome here either the player should be sent off or he shouldn't the player should leave the field or he shouldn't you've got as much a responsibility to put your head above the parapet and say this needs to be done as anybody else mm-hmm. um, so that would be where my disappointment would be because people make mistakes you know we don't note things down but that's why you have assistance you know that's why you have full officials there you know so that if you do make a mistake someone is there to, to kind of catch you um and I'm, I, I can't comment on what happened at the weekend and I really feel for the referee in that situation because nobody would want to be, be themselves there. Um, but the four of them have to take responsibility in that incident as to why wasn't that flagged. And, and Red, do you want to talk about how you, like what you would say to, let's say I was going to be your assistant this weekend. Um, how, would you, how would you in your pre-match describe to me like if this ever happened, how I should get your attention or how I should get involved. Well, what, just with a mistaken identity or something? Some, anything like this, yeah, exactly. Well, I think, again, if you were senior, a referee, sometimes you kind of you kind of know that you've made a mistake with giving out a yellow card or something, if you've given someone... Sometimes you can almost be aware of the situation. I think also, it's, again, as Mike said, you're a team at the end of the day, so I'd hope that both my assistants were switched on throughout the match and they could make it aware to myself. I think, again, just coming over for a conversation... If we need to, if if you if you're dead certain with yourself, and I think as John said, you're putting yourself out there, and again, you're only going to just, it's only going to be no, we've we've got it wrong, mixed up, and we crack on with the game kind of thing. And sometimes the players might be like, why have you even gone for a conversation? But if it is a game change decision, and we do get it right, then that would be fantastic. So I think again, just over a conversation, if we need to check through match record, because the worst thing to do would be to get into the changing room and then for you to pick, stick your heads up and go, oh no, you booked that player twice. It's like. Well, we could have had that conversation. We could have we could have had that conversation out on the pitch, and now we're probably gonna have a gaffer coming in asking why have we not done this. And now we both, as a team, we're now gonna look not great. So I think the best opportunity to do it is just kind of at the time of it. If we need to have a conversation, I'll probably be coming over because I'm not even sure if I'm re- if I've booked a player again. If we can deal with that and we can get it done before the game restarts, then that would look fantastic. So I think just a bit of honesty again, calling calling myself over, have a conversation. And just cross-reference both our notes, and then just get the game, just get the game underway if we need to go from there. And I think uh, at a level where all four of us operate without comms kits on our games, it just emphasises the importance of when you're cautioning the player, being mindful of where is the assistance view mm-hmm. in proximity to seeing the player's number. Because it was different on, presumably it was different on Sunday, and that, that that's just, or whenever it took place over the weekend, it's just use the assumption that the comms kits was working, and in that situation, you would confirm the, the caution and the time immediately after it takes place. You don't have that luxury in our games, so you need to make sure that if you've given the responsibility to your senior assistant to take a full match record, when you're cautioning a player, they can actually see the number to take a full match record. Otherwise, the only opportunity you've got to really uh, clarify books is 45 and 90. Um, and I think that's a, a big learning point as I was thinking about this this uh, conversation is um, I always I always found it a bit strange that at half time you would 
just double check with everyone. I just thought, oh, this is a waste of time, but it's for this specific reason, right? Do you do that in all your games at the at half time? You just go around as a team and just double check and clarify? Yeah? yeah. Normal procedure, right? Okay, perfect. So that's something for the listeners, you know, 45 minutes for like 30 seconds of your break at half time, chat to each other and just clarify that you've got all the same yellow cards. And possibly even if you were the junior assistant and who hasn't been asked to take cards, maybe that's the time to make your notes there as well, because yeah. you could be really handy in the second half should anything else kick off. So, brilliant. In terms of the uh, in-game situation and, and the assistant, you know, raising the flag, bringing the attention of the referee to, to clarify something before play restarts, you know, what's the worst that can happen in that situation? You know, you lose 30 seconds of the game or 60 seconds of the game, you know. And, it, yeah. you know, from my perspective, I'd much rather my assistant call me over. Now, if it happened 10 times in a game, you'd be thinking, you know, what's going on? But on that one occasion where... He or yeah. she not quite sure if a caution has already taken place just to go that Mike, have you cautioned this person? Can you just clarify that for me? And you can go, uh, no, I haven't. Or you can go, you know, yes, I have. You've got me out of a hole here. Actually, it's a second caution and off we go. You know, I think for that, that 30 seconds of dialogue could, could save you a lot of heartache, really. Brilliant. I think that's a great place to end. Um, Red, Mike, thanks so much for, for joining. Um, I hope you have a, a great game this weekend. Um, to our listeners, to our viewers, thanks for joining in. Um, I hope you found this valuable. We touched on three pretty uh, interesting uh, topics there from you know just what happened this week. Um, so hope, hopefully you're finding value in this, listening to this on your drive, on, on the treadmill, or watching it uh, on your commute home. Um, if you're interested in... Uh, Ref 6, you should definitely download it. It will stop you from making that mistake. If you put that second yellow, it will tell you there's a red card on its way. Um, so definitely try that out. Um, but I hope everyone who's listening and watching has a great weekend of football, a great week of football, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.